Let's read the scriptures together. These will be the sermon text for this morning. First of all, reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then also from 1 Peter. I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bible if you'd like to follow along, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you will need more than ears just to hear the word of the Lord this morning. You will need faith. And so as I read, would you, would you please pray that the Lord would give you more than just hearing, but that he would give you belief in the words of the Lord. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is not true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope In this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then from the epistle of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for such words. Thank you for such words of hope, and I pray that we would cast everything upon them today. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It is uh, great to gather together uh, in various places around uh, the Oceanside area and uh, to share in an opportunity to talk about Easter. It is a very uh, unique uh, year, a Resurrection Sunday, as I drove here to church this morning. There were about four cars on the road, and uh, it just doesn't seem right. But we thank the Lord that we can uh, still meet together in various places around his word and uh, to challenge and stimulate one another's thinking. Our theme over this weekend has been Jesus is Risen. And we started on Palm Sunday with Jesus is King. That changes everything. Uh, last uh, Good Friday, uh, Friday a couple days ago, we talked about Jesus has died and how that changes everything. And now we were talking about how Jesus is Risen. And that changes everything. Uh, This resurrection weekend may be one of the most significant opportunities that we have had in all of history, really next to the resurrection itself, to consider how a single event can change everything in our world. Five weeks ago, if anyone would have told you how your life today would look, or the lives of almost anyone in this world, a shutdown of world economies, a shutdown of world travel and tourism, a shutdown of public life, a shutdown of entertainment and sports, government-imposed isolation of billions of people, 
you rightly would have questioned their sanity. And yet here we are on this Resurrection Sunday. And I think for years to come, people will analyze the impact and the effects of these few months on human society. But it will be left to Christian historians to assess the spiritual realities of this time. And you can go to the book of Revelation and find the spiritual realities behind the physical realities of the last days in which we live. As I see it, though, and as I've been reflecting on this the last week or so, this present time, I think, is one of the greatest opportunities God has given the modern world. It's an opportunity to really assess what is important in life. Because everything that normally distracts us has been taken away. You think of Easter egg hunts. You think of shopping. Think of how many hours we would watch sports or spend time with our grandchildren. How about entertainment or gambling or coming home to be with your family or going to work or things that would indulge our pleasure or travel or walks in the park. They have all been stripped away. Everything has changed or at least something for everyone has changed. I was thinking about it, all the anesthetics in life that we normally take to dull the pain of an empty, aching heart have been stripped away. And the longings of our hearts have been exposed. And for this short time in human history, really quite unprecedented, I believe, in human history, God is giving humankind a profound opportunity to look for the meaning in life, to look for the source of hope in life, to find happiness that is lasting and sustainable. As we often quote here, Augustine, who said, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. God has given humankind an incredible opportunity these days to find its rest in God. Yet even as we think about the magnitude of the shifts that are taking place in our world today, they really do pale in comparison to the backdrop of a single event which occurred in human history in A.D. 33. And that single event changed everything. And that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Its impact can be traced back into eternity past, before even the foundation of the world. It can be traced back to the creation of this world and humankind put in this world. It can be traced through the history of humankind up to A.D. 33. It can be traced over the last 2,000 years of human history. And it will stretch into eternity as we go forward. And its impact is not just universal or worldwide or even on our creation, but it's also a personal impact. And many of you listening today could share personally about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has changed everything for you. And some of you, if you had the opportunity, could sit with some of those and you could ask them a question. You could say to them, tell me, how has the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed your life? And as you sat around a coffee shop or around a table or went for a walk with them, you would hear about habits being broken. You would hear about conscience is being cleansed. You would be about hope found. You would be hear about difficulties managed. You would hear about peace and about everlasting or an ever-present God. And dotted throughout that conversation would be words such as, my heavenly Father, or my sin, or I've been forgiven, 
or hope. I, I have hope now or I have a promise of eternal life. I am restored to God. I have been reconciled to God. I still have hardship, but I have hope now. I have an inheritance that is secured for me. Everything has changed in my life. You would hear that as you had coffee with those individuals. And so as I was working through this again in another way, I was saying, how do we assess the magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And beyond that, the secondary issue of what happens to me when I die. You see, in a time when we are daily giving numerical updates about how many people are dying, it's a timely question to ask, what happens when we die? Is there really a resurrection? And there's three questions that have been framing my thinking. The first question, as, as it relates to our faith, is simply, who was raised from the dead? And does that really matter? Who is it that Scripture tells us would be crucified and then raised from the dead on the third day? The Scriptures tell us it is a specific person, Jesus Christ. The second question that I've been running through in my head was, was it a resurrection from a real death? In other words, did Jesus Christ really die? And does that matter? Who is it that Scripture tells us was crucified and then raised on the, or, 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 or did Jesus really give himself up to death? Was he really crucified and died on that cross? In other words, is there a physical reality to his death? Did, in fact, God raise Jesus from the dead? And then the third question is, so what? So what? So what if Jesus was raised from the dead? Did did that accomplish anything? Was the death and resurrection of Jesus personal or purposeful? And is there a spiritual reality behind that resurrection? And so I want to just use these two texts that Pastor Barry read for us and to reflect on it. The, the first is sort of a negative take on things. How does everything change if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? Because it does matter. It certainly matters for those who claim as Christians that they believe in the resurrection of the dead. And then I want to answer it from a positive perspective from Peter. How if he was raised from the dead, it does change everything. So the first is just to lay out before us the realities about how everything changes if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. I was thinking about this, and and you know this true. Every story that we hear in society, Christian or non-Christian, just a, a good story that we hear in society has a theology. It doesn't have to be a religious story, but when I say a theology, what I mean by that is that there's a set of facts about that story that cannot be dispensed for that story to stay intact. So think about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Without Ebenezer Scrooge, there really would be no Christmas classic. And if there is no resurrection from the dead then the Christian story really is meaningless. And so Paul outlines for us the realities that would be true if we took Jesus, the center of the Christian story, out of that story. He first first says to us in verse 13 and 16 of chapter, chapter 15, the dead are dead forever. If there is no resurrection, the dead are dead forever. 
His point is either Christ was raised and therefore all are raised, or Christ is not raised from the dead and therefore none will be raised from the dead. Paul's logic is really simple. If human bodies cannot survive death, then neither can Jesus in his human body survive death. Because Jesus was a human like you and I. He had flesh and blood like you and I have. He was like us in every way except without sin. And so there can't be an exception. And so either all die and none are raised, or because one was raised from death, then all of us have the opportunity to be raised from the dead. The second negative that Paul talks about is telling others about the resurrection is really useless. What are we doing here today? What are you doing gathering around your your computer or your TV set listening to somebody talk about the resurrection of the dead if it really didn't happen? That's useless kind of talk. What we do from week after week in Christian pulpits or as we gather around our Bibles is futile. It's empty. It's worthless. Because again, if you take the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the story, then the heart of our message and our appeal is gutted. We preach the gospel, and the gospel is about a person named Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead by his Father. If there is no resurrection, Paul says that we are simply blowing smoke when we get up and preach week to week. And Paul would be fooling himself when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone believes. If you take away the reality of Jesus' resurrection and the hope of our own resurrection then you gut preaching of its core message. Without the resurrection, Christianity has nothing to offer anyone. The third point that Paul makes is simply this. If there is no resurrection, then faith in Jesus Christ is totally worthless. And that really makes sense, again, because as Christians, the foundation of our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the center of our faith. He is the object of our faith. Our faith is, it's not how, I, how strong my faith is. It's not this subjective feeling that I have. My faith is centered in an object. It's objective in that the object of my faith is Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That is my hope, is that as Jesus was raised from the dead, as I put my faith in that resurrection, so too will I one day be raised from the dead. And Paul is saying that if the resurrection never happened, then at the very heart of your faith, the very substance of your faith, the object of your faith is futile, meaningless. The fourth thing that he says, which is a theological implication, in verse 15 of chapter 15, he says, then if that is true, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then this word that we read, this Bible that we claim to be from God is filled with lies And it's written by liars. I want you to notice something about verse 15, though. Just to draw your attention for it, just for a moment. In verse 15, he says, We are even found, he says, to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. The thing that I want to point out for you, is that Paul does not tie the resurrection of Christ from the dead to the existence of God. 
And I think that's a really important thing for, under, for us to understand. The, the resurrection certainly reveals the character of God, but it does not prove the existence of God. God existed before the resurrection. But what Paul does say, in a few words, that if Christ is not raised from the dead, we're liars. We're hypocrites. We who tell our spouses, we who tell our children that Christ is raised from the dead. If that is not true, we are liars. And in fact, we're lying on behalf of God, who himself has declared that Christ is raised from the dead. There's a very real truth that Scripture stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If it's all a lie... Do you really think that many people would die for that lie? And by implication, if there is no resurrection, then even Jesus Christ himself is a liar. And then there's three more things that are personal as we reflect on what happens if the resurrection is not true and how it changes everything. In two words, sin wins. Sin wins. He he says, if there is no resurrection, you are still in your sin. You still feel its shame. You still feel the weight of its guilt. You are still enslaved to it. and, and, And all of us know what it is to be enslaved to sin. And worst of all things is that we will be subject to its punishment, which is death. You see, if there is no resurrection, then sin has not been defeated. As the Bible tells us, and we know from experience, why do people die? The ultimate cause that people die is because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And if there is no resurrection, then death has not been defeated by the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And we are still in our sins. We are unforgiven. I think in a time in which we live, this sixth consequence is probably one of the most profound, or at least in the forefront of our thinking, Then heaven is an empty hope. Verse 18 says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This is the hope of the Christian because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that death does not win. That heaven is a real place. If there is no resurrection, then the death of our children or our parents or our friends, those who have been taken suddenly from us, those whose hands we held as they slipped into death with the hope that one day we would meet them again in glory, we will never see them again. They simply have perished. Like a mist, they have disappeared, vanished. Death really is the victor. Our hope of heaven is tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is now in heaven. And then the final consequence, and it makes sense if you think it through, is that Christians are pitiful fools. Everyone who puts their trust in a resurrected Jesus Christ, if he's not been resurrected, how foolish that is. And we ought to be miserable. And we are miserable because without the resurrection, there's no Savior. 
There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no gospel. There's no meaningful faith. There's no hope in this life. There's no hope in any life to come. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, if he was only a good moral teacher, then we really are a pretty sorry lot. Paul really lays out for us the, how everything changes for us if Christ has not been raised from the dead. To say then that there is no resurrection is to gut the Christian story. And if there is no resurrection, then the dead are dead forever, without exception. Telling others about the resurrection, well, it's useless. Faith in Christ is totally useless. Scripture is filled with lies and liars. Sin wins. Heaven is an empty hope. Christians are pitiful fuels, fools. But thank God for verse 20. Because there, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because of that, everything changes. And so that's where we jump then over to uh, the book of Peter and take a few minutes just to end as we look at First Peter. A couple things that are important, I think, for us to, to reflect on. That as Paul ends his, his declaration of pointing out the negatives, but he ends with a positive, no, but he has raised from the dead. So what changes then as a result of that? You see, in First Peter, we have one of the most succinct descriptions of the implications of the resurrection anywhere in the scriptures. And the controlling phrase of these few verses from First Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, is this phrase. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That holds everything together. Through the resurrection. Again, we are talking about the coming back to life. The raising up of one who is dead. That's what we mean when we read the word resurrection any place in scriptures. It's a resurrection from human physical life to everlasting eternal life. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It matters so much that we think at least a little bit about who it was that was raised in A.D. 33. Peter is very, very clear to say that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's reminding us of the two natures of Christ. The name Jesus reminds us of his personal human nature. He was the Son of Man. He was like us in every way. His conception was unique necessarily. But his development in the womb and his birth and his, in, his, his entire life was entirely human. He was like us in every single way. Flesh and blood. And yet without sin. The singular exception was without sin. And what that meant then was that this man, Jesus Christ, perfectly obeyed everything that the Father wants all of us to obey, but have failed. But in Christ the man, he perfectly obeyed in thought, intent, in motive, and in act every single law that God had given for us to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. Everything that constitutes righteousness before God was fulfilled in the human person of Jesus Christ. He fully satisfied the requirements of God in human flesh. 
But the second thing that Peter tells us about him, well, there's another unique thing about Christ. He was, all, or about this, this person that was raised up. He is Jesus Christ. And why does he give the title Christ? Well, Christ there is the Son of God. It's speaking about his deity. It's speaking about the one who is the second person of the eternal trinity. He is speaking about one who always was. And as we think this through, Christ had to be human in every way like us to experience the challenges that we face and to live a perfect life of righteousness. But he had to be God in order to offer an eternal sacrifice that was available to all who would put their trust in him. He had to be God and able to bear the eternal punishment of God that would fall on the sins of those who disobeyed God. He had to be God so that the, the application of the work of the man Jesus Christ could be applied to any who would put their faith and trust in God or in Christ. And so it's essential and it matters that Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God, who was raised from the dead. Again, death is important. Why does the death matter? Why did Jesus have to die? And this is where we get to the heart of the Christian faith. Because we have already made reference to the fact that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death. How can we ever pay that penalty? Because we are the sinners. We need somebody to step in and take our place. This is where the purposeful reality of the death of Jesus Christ matters. Because Jesus Christ stepped into our place, bore the weight of our sin, carried its curse and its punishment, and satisfied the justice of God and the just wrath of God against sin so that we could stand righteous before God because of the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. This is what Peter means when he says, through the death or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so what changed? What changed? What does Peter says change? Well, the first thing he says that changes is how we speak about God, and it's beautiful. He says, he begins by simply saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much hatred towards God. There is so much um, um, that's expressed in our language that's blasphemous towards God. We, 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 we have it all wrong about him. Our sin causes him to look at it wrong. But when we understand the resurrection and we see it applied to our lives and we see the amazing plan of God, our speech turns from that of taking the name of our God in vain to blessing our God, to speaking well of our God. As the psalmist says in another place, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Why? Because he has forgiven all of my sins. He has healed all of my diseases. He has cast my sins behind his back. We speak well of God. Our speech changes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul in one place says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter also says, though, how it changes God's dealing with mankind. That mankind, that God is now able to deal with mankind in mercy. And this is what Peter says, according to his mercy, his great mercy. It's amazing that, that God is merciful towards us. That God is merciful to those who have disregarded him, those who have spoken ill of him. In fact, we, we, we realize that God is just in punishing sin. And so, how is it that Peter says, but God can be rich in mercy towards us? Well, God can be rich in mercy towards us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. See, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Mercy is described in the Old Testament as God stooping down, so to speak. As God coming down to us in our pitiful, sorry, desperate condition as we are. And raising us up. As a text in Romans says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. That while, while we were still sinners, that is great mercy. God's mercy meets our greatest need. In fact, it exceeds it. It deals with our desperate condition. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God can look on us with mercy. He can extend mercy to us. We can agree with the psalmist who says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes how we speak about God. It changes how God deals with us. He deals with us in great mercy. And profoundly, it changes us from the inside out. It says there, as Peter is talking about the resurrection, he says that God has caused us to be born again. That's only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a scripture that talks about the impossibility of, of us turning towards God. And it asks two questions. It, it says, can the Ethiopian change the color of its, his skin or the leopard change his spots? No, that's what they are by nature. We need a new nature. We need a, a, a nature that's predisposed to righteousness, a nature that's predisposed to obedience. And we can't do that ourselves, but God does this incredible work in us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He changes us from the inside out. He's caused us to be born again. And we know that language of new birth, don't we? Because when a child is born, we say they've been given life. They, they, they have been given all that's necessary to live in this planet of earth. Well, when God causes us to be born again. He does a work in us that, that begins this transformation that will fit us to live with him in eternity. As the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and all things have become new. And in other places, do you, know that, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried with him in, by, him uh, by his baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That newness of life is made possible to us not because of our good works, not because of our good deeds, not because we give here or give there. It's made possible only through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It changes our present. Peter says he caused us to be born again to a living hope. As I said earlier, the present circumstances of our world are exposing the hopelessness that so many have been living with. And you see, with all the distractions that, that we have had in society that have, uh, that have dulled the pain of that hopelessness, with all of those being taken away, people are grumpy. People are angry. People are snappy. And part of it is because they're wrestling with this emptiness. They're wrestling with this, this stuff that they can't explain. They, they, they've lost hope and they're losing hope. And they wonder if they're going to succumb next to this disease that's going around in our world. Or other things, they've lost hope in their money. But, but, but what the scriptures so clearly say to us is that we have been caused to be born again to a living hope. Our hope is no longer rooted in our health. Our hope is no longer rooted in our money. Our, help is no, our hope is no longer rooted in our job. But our hope is rooted in Jesus Christ, the source of our eternal life. I was reading a little while ago a quote, or, or Bertrand Russell, he's an atheist philosopher, and one thing I like about Bertrand Russell is at least he's honest with his belief if there is no God and the implications of that. And he lamented, and listen to this quote as I read it, this is him lamenting our hopelessness. He says that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought or feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. How can you build hope in the firm foundation of unyielding despair? The resurrection changes everything. It changes our outlook in life. That we have been, through the great mercy of God, have been caused to be born again to a living hope. And finally, it changes the future. Peter's very clear there that we have been raised through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, listen to this, that is imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. We're aware how transient human inheritance can be. It can be lost in a stark market crash. It can be lost in a bad investment. It can be lost because it's stolen by another, maybe a sibling. It can be lost because we die before we get it. There's a certain amount of um, uncertainty in earthly inheritances through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been born again to listen to this kind of inheritance. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it is kept for you. No one's going to take it away. You're never going to come into any circumstance that will mean that you will not receive it. And not only is our inheritance kept, but we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ are kept by God in order that we will receive that inheritance. We have a sure and certain future. This, loved ones, is cause for incredible joy. Why is Resurrection Sunday filled with so much joy? Well, it's filled with so much joy and so much love for Christ and what he did for us and for Jesus and the life that he lived for us and God and his power for raising Jesus Christ from the dead. It's filled so, with so much joy because it changes everything. It changes our perspective of God and how we talk about God. It changes the way God responds to me. He can respond to me out of great mercy. It changes me from the inside out. I'm becoming a perfect person. Not yet there, but on my way to perfection. It changes the way that I live in this world that I presently find myself. I have hope. Hope that death is not the end. And it changes my future. Because I know that when I die, I will too will be raised as Christ was raised from the dead. And I have this incredible inheritance waiting for me. All this and more is possible through the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who declared, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. If you've not been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you can. You can even this very day, this resurrection Lord's Day. And you can simply by turning your eyes from yourself, turning your eyes from anything that you might have, anything that you might own, anything that you might think you have to offer. Turn your eyes towards Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, save me. I want to have your life in me. Put your trust in him today and it will change everything in your world. Father, we come before you today. We're thankful for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There certainly are implications if it's not true. But we know that it is true on so many grounds and for so many reasons. And because of its truthfulness, we know that our world can be turned upside down for the better. Father, would you strengthen the hearts of so many who have put their confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
to just rejoice in how their worlds have been changed because of that. And I do pray, Spirit of God, that any who are listening today, who have not yet come to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for the righteousness that God requires, I pray that today they will trust him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.